It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. An early childhood taxing district, what on earth is that? The latest in politics and world affairs. I don't think that we should be passing legislation that is so complicated that people kind of throw up their hands and say, oh, I can't understand it. Today's current opinions and ideas. It is not fair that just because you're a big business that you get a break on this and the little guy doesn't. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, valued, you have purpose. Today's Drive for Excellence, take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, we were made for this moment. And thank you to this team that I get to work with. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. Happy Friday to you, producer Steve. Call it Finally Friday or Fabulous Friday. It's Friday. <laughs> it is Friday for sure. I cannot believe how fast uh, how fast time goes. There is the old saying, every day is a gift. That's why it's called a present. And uh, we have 24 hours. Each of us um, gets to make the choice how we use those hours. So we should use them wisely. Sound like my, my dad, don't I? Well, I never had, had the chance to uh, speak with him, but I'll take your word for it. <clears throat> yes, that that is uh, something that he would say on a regular basis. But check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. These essays that we have coming out are really terrific, and they're getting quite a bit of play. I We're posting them on Facebook. Uh, some of them, let's see, what was it uh, yesterday? I could not think of the, the term, and uh, Bob in Michigan texted me and he said it was shadow banned. That's what I was trying to get that word is anything that we uh, put out regarding COVID is normally shadow banned by Facebook, but there's still a lot of interest in that. So sign up for those. Then they do go and live on the, w- the website as well. And uh, you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And so it's because of all of you out there, um, uh, that we're on the air as well as all of these great sponsors. And one of those great sponsors is Hooters Restaurants. They have five locations, Loveland, Westminster, Lone Tree, Aurora, and Colorado Springs. And they have uh, all kinds of specials throughout the week. They have a great happy hour specials Monday through Friday, as well as lunch specials. And um, they become partners of mine. It's a really interesting story. We've got that on the website. So you can check that out as well. Uh, but again, thank you to all of you who support us. I so greatly appreciate it. Speaking of shadow banning, did you see the COO of Facebook or Meta, whatever they call themselves, is, I don't know, not resigning, but stepping down. And you scratch your head and say, because she's not, you know, she's not retirement age, let's say. Is it policy, maybe? You know, is there some strife at Facebook? Um, I don't know. We'll have to stay tuned. I saw that headline as well. And I did think that, I, like you, I thought, oh, that's kind of curious. But stay tuned on that. Um, and so let's see. Continuing on. First of all, great show planned for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking with William B. Allen uh, in the third and fourth segment here. And that will be regarding his book that he has written on the state of black America, progress pitfalls and the promise of the Republic. So that's going to be super interesting. The second segment of this hour, we'll be talking with one of the CD seven candidates, Eric Odlin. And then uh, next hour, Steve Cruz with three points financial. One of our great sponsors will 
uh, give us some tips on, uh, uh, let's see, return on life versus return on money. So that's going to be interesting. And then Professor Eugene Volick, uh, UCLA law professor, really impressive guy. I uh, will be talking about freedom of speech. That's one of his uh, specialties. And, of course, your call-ins at the end of the second hour, 303-477-5600. But my friends, we look at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And socialism is not about free stuff. I think we just saw that Biden, what, uh, they forgave uh, some student loans out there. How unfair is that to everybody out there? First of all, that paid off their student loans. Second of all, for those that might have gone to a trade school and didn't rack up a whole bunch of student loan debt, are working and paying taxes and they're paying for this for, this loan forgiveness. So socialism is not about uh, free stuff. That's the carrot to get you to vote for it. But socialism is, is such a bad idea, and, and it's the gateway drug to or the gateway uh, policies to communism, Marxism. Uh, but um, it's such a bad idea that they have to buy votes, pander and buy votes. I'm Producer glad, Steve, glad you said that because hmm. that's exactly what I was thinking. That is blatant and shameless vote buying. Not obviously not this just. Just the students, but their parents, their extended families, see what's going on. Yeah, that's vote buying. It is, and of course we've got we're going to have a big vote buying program here in Colorado right before election day when our Tabor refunds will be uh, there or there will be Tabor refunds sent out to us in under though the auspices of uh, a benevolent Jared Polis and uh, my friends you have to realize if that if if politicians have to resort to that to get elected then uh, we don't want to get them elected, Steve. All the major TV stations here in Denver have a, poli- uh, you know, a reporter who covers politics. And I want to say, if you're worth your salt, get out there and start painting an accurate picture of what, what this, what's happening here. Because th- this is... And actually, no, they won't do that. They'll go the other direction. They'll paint him to be Santa Claus. They will. That is why we have to... This is a grassroots grassroots um, movement to save our country. That's why we need to elect these great grassroots candidates, uh, particularly governorship, uh, Greg Lopez, um, U.S. Senate, Ron Hanks, and uh, Secretary of State, Tina Peters, because because the PBIs, the politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties have gotten us into the mess that we're in. Colorado's broken. We can fix it, but we have to to elect these grassroots candidates. But that also means, Steve, that we know that the mainstream media is not going to be speaking truth into this. And just a little bit of truth goes a long way. And that's why we do the show to help you get your brain around these issues so you can go out and engage in the battle of ideas with your friends and your family and your colleagues and your neighbors, because that is the way that we are going to reclaim our state and fix Colorado, Steve. Well, when the time comes, I'm not sure what the timetable is for this. So I'll say, yeah, will I take my my money back? Yeah. Was it like $400? Something like that? Yeah. It'll be four or $500. I'll, I'll gladly take my money back and do with it what I want. But let's, you know, again, let's not, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that it's some kind of a gift. 
Exactly. This is our money. And of course, there's plenty of interested people that had their hands in the money pot before it is being, some of it's being returned to us. But uh, I want to continue on. This is a very historic day, and uh, I think it's going to be important to chat about that. But before we do that, though, America's Veterans Stories this Sunday, uh, 3 to 4 p.m., is our interview with Trisha Hood. And it's just fascinating. Her husband was an optometrist, um, and he was... Um, served during the Vietnam War, but the U.S. Army wanted to get optometrists to the front line. So he was not only an optometrist, he was uh, a member of the 82nd Airborne, uh, and he jumped in um, enemy lines right there on the front line so that any of our soldiers that uh, wore glasses, that they were damaged, he could fix them right there and get them back into action. So it's a fascinating story, Steve. Just think if you were a newspaper reporter back in the day, uh, you know, optometrist jumps out of airplane (laughs) (laughs) i know it i know it okay i wanted to uh, let's talk a little history today and it was um 80 years ago today now as we're just as we have the blessings still of freedom uh even though it's under assault by all, all these pbis here in america right now but we have our freedom And it's because of generations before us that put their lives on the line, lost their lives. And so 80 years ago today, the Battle of Midway began. And um, it's a major, so it was uh, fought June 3 through June, June 7, 1942. And here's a little history. It says a major goal for Japan during World War II was to gain territory in East Asia and Southwest Pacific, effectively removing the United States as the dominant power. Japanese military planners hoped to defeat the U.S. Pacific Fleet and take Midway, from which they could launch additional attacks on Pearl Harbor. This, they believed, would secure their dominance in the area and force the United States to negotiate for peace. So Midway, it says, part of the northwestern islands of the Hawaiian Archipelago, how do you say that word? Archipelago? Um, Midway Atoll is one of the most remote atolls located more than 3,200 miles from San Francisco. The United States annexed the atoll in the 19th century and by 1940 had begun constructing facilities on the islands in preparation for war. Isn't that interesting, Steve? In preparation for, for war. So, um, Anyway, I think that's interesting that uh, then Pearl Harbor happened in 1941. But on December 7, 1941, Japanese destroyers shelled the facilities at Naval Air Station Midway. And by June 1944, PBY, Catalinas, and B-17s were stationed on Midway, along with 4,000 American personnel. Since the five-day battle fought from June 3 through June 7, 1942, encompassed an area the size of the contiguous United States. Can you believe that, Steve? Japanese and American ships fought at ranges of 50 to 150 miles apart. So just what's your comments on that before I go into the next portion? Well, I, you know, the, the undertow of, of the whole mid, the conflict at Midway was not so much you know, a land, uh, some kind of land grab. There wasn't that much land at Midway. But what ended up happening as the battle was, uh, the, the sea battle was in, advancing what was what happened to the japanese in terms of their fleet you know right they they lost four carriers in that conflict and never were able to recover after that 
Exactly. And that was what was so important about it. So what happened, though, is we broke the code. It says in early 1942, Navy cryptanalysts had begun breaking Japanese communication codes and it begun, had um, learned of Japanese plans to attack a location in the Pacific referred to as AF. So it says to determine what AF meant, a simple trick was used. American forces at Midway were told to send out false messages that they were running low on fresh water. After the message was sent, the cryptanalyst deciphered a Japanese message that AF was short of water. With that confirmation that AF was Midway, Station Hippo in Hawaii decoded further messages providing the U.S. Navy with the date of the attack and the Japanese order of battle. And as you said, though, it was uh, amazing that uh, we destroyed four of their carriers and the Japanese really never recovered from that. So looked up uh, casualties. It says the the um, uh, the casualties on on both sides: 320 Japanese plan, planes and 150 U.S. planes. And the third and final section presents the battles, uh, human casualties. It's about 3,000 Japanese sailors and airmen killed, and 317 U.S. sailors, airmen, and Marines. So that's the history on it. So I thought it would be good to have our quote from Admiral Nimitz, who was. Um, the Fleet Admiral of the United States Navy. He played a major role in the naval history of World War II. He was the Commander-in-Chief of the U.S. Pacific Fleet and Commander-in-Chief of the Pacific Ocean Areas. Born in 1885, died in 1966. And he said this. He said, God grant me the courage not to give up what I think is right, even though I think it is hopeless. Oh, my gosh, Steve. Can you imagine the what was on his heart to when he, uh, when he said that with that particular quote? Well, once you know the hostilities hostilities had commenced, we were officially in the war. Any of these guys who were, you know, a major commands, I can't put myself in their shoes. I mean, the responsibility, uh, what was at stake, uh, they deserve a lot of respect. They do, but do you not think that that's such an important quote for today? When we look at the daunting things that we're faced with in our country right now and in our world, so again, God grant me the courage not to give up on what I think is right, even though I think it is hopeless. And that is uh, Chester Nimitz. Let's go to break. When we come back, we'll be talking with with Eric Odlin. He is a candidate for Congressional District Seven. Uh, of course, the uh, primary ballots are going to start to be mailed out next week. And uh, so we want to talk with him about uh, current events, what he sees happening right now. So we'll be right back. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. 
Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And uh, I'm pl- so thrilled to have on the line with me Eric Odlin. He is a candidate for Congressional District 7. And um, it's been a while since we chatted with him. Ballots are going to start to come out next week for the primary. Eric Odlin, welcome to the show. Good morning, Kim. Glad to be back with you. Eric, a lot has happened since we last talked. Uh, and we had seen energy prices going up. Um, but the economy, um, I had, uh, let's see, I had Richard Barris on with Big Data Poll yesterday. And he said that uh, their polling shows that um, people are not confident that, that things are going to get better within the next six months. And that was a, a new shift. And, of course, we have these telegraphs from Biden and uh, the administration that there's going to be food shortages, there's going to be blackouts, which... Um, this is all because of terrible public policy. What's your thoughts on all of this, Eric Odlin? Well, I agree, Kim. It's a direct result of, of our current administration's policies. I mean, it's never been so clear that that uh, that both the presidency and and Congress can have such a directly negative impact on all facets of our society. Uh, it is uh, fiscal policy and energy policy that's directly impacting the economy, and and these are uh, unnecessary. Uh, we don't need to have skyrocketing inflation. Congress just needs to stop spending money out of control. We don't need to have uh, extraordinary prices of, of gasoline and diesel at the pump. We just need sound energy policy, and that means producing here in a balanced way uh, oil and natural gas in this country. So, it looks like everything the Biden administration is doing is is uh, eroding American strength and uh, and negatively impacting ev- everyday Americans, and it's unfortunate. Eric, uh, producer Steve and I have talked about this. I've talked with our team. I. I, I can't say that I think it's incompetence anymore on the Biden administration. It almost seems like it is on purpose. And uh, that is very troubling to me. Well, I agree with you, Kim. They're, they're, they're not stupid people. And, and though they, they try to act under a veil of incompetency, and Biden helps them because in many cases he's not fully cognizant uh, we don't know who's running the White House, but at the end of the day, this all seems to be by design. They know exactly what the results of these bad policies are going to be, though they lie through their teeth to try and deceive the American people. Fortunately, people are waking up, but I think that they're trying to undermine the strength of the United States. They're trying to drive us a certain agenda uh, that ushers us into globalism, but, but is not good for the American people. It's not good for the world. No, it's not. When America is strong and flourishing, then it is. Uh, we see that uh, throughout the world. For example, we'd made such great strides on fighting world hunger. 
And a lot of that is because of, uh, we're talking energy, affordable, reliable, efficient, and abundant energy that our farmers can raise raise food, which not only feeds America, but feeds the world. And now with diesel prices where it's at uh, and um, fertilizer prices, that is making it difficult for the American farmer, which that trickles down to the the poor throughout the world uh, not having enough to eat. I mean, it's pretty mind-boggling to me what's happening, Eric. I'm totally with you, Kim. In fact, I talked to a farmer in my district the other day who said, The supply chain issues are affecting his ability to maintain his equipment. The diesel prices are affecting his his, just his cost of operations. He's having difficulties getting fertilizer because the the crisis in Ukraine, but also the the impact of natural gas. A lot of uh, fertilizer is, is totally dependent on natural gas production. And then in many cases, farmers are being paid by the government not to plant fields. So this is a perfect storm that is going to impact food around the world uh, that is going to impact the price of commodities and our affordability here in Colorado and everywhere else. And it's just, it's just extremely unfortunate. I mean, as we were talking, a strong United States, which is a constitutional republic, which champions the rights of the individual and demonstrates freedom for the rest of the world is a positive thing. And the left right now is doing everything it can to destroy freedom to take away the rights of the individual, and I think, in many respects, cede the planet to China. And China is not our friend. In fact, China needs to be classified as an enemy. They need to lose their favored nation status. They're committing genocide. And this is the road we're going down, though. China will become the the prime power, and that's not healthy for for the world. And and we're seeing unprecedented instability as a result of these policies globally, and it's making the world a more dangerous place, both within and without our borders. Okay, Eric Odlin, we can fix this, though. I, I really am confident that we can fix this. We need to be electing um, representatives of the people, not lawmakers. We can. We don't need any more laws. We need to be uh, rec- uh, electing representatives of the people. We can fix this. How uh, How will you fix this when when you get into Congress? Well, first and foremost, a a representative's primary charge is upholding the United States Constitution. That's the oath every elected official takes. Far too few are honoring that oath, but we need to restore our government back to its its limited path uh, based on the Constitution and putting power at the local level and, and at the lowest level in the hands of the people so people can make smart decisions. We don't need more legislation. There is no magic bullet legislation that will solve these issues. Government has become the problem. It's not the solution. It is the problem, as Ronald Reagan stated. And that's that's what we need to do is 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 get lawmakers uh, in their limited role and out of our lives. And at this point, uh, the, the trend is the opposite. But we can solve it by electing people of character who will do the right thing and vote with their conscience and uphold the Constitution. Uh, what are you uh, hearing out on the campaign trail? Because uh, you've been on the campaign trail for a while, and so you've you've kind of seen the progression of what's happened since when when Biden took um, took office. Our, uh, gas was affordable at the gas pump. We we had uh, um, 
we didn't have all this kind of moving us towards not hope. Uh, and uh, so what have you seen? Because you've seen a real progression while you've been out on the campaign trail. Well, I've connected with a lot of people, Kim, not just Republicans, but independents and Democrats who are, are disturbed by what's going on. And they're, they're seeing the effect of the economy. They're feeling the unaffordability, especially here in Colorado. They're feeling the out-of-control crime along the front range, Denver being number one in auto theft in the nation. On and on and on, people are starting to feel a gr- much greater sense of insecurity than they've felt in, in perhaps decades. And they're ready for a change. They're not looking for anything radical. They're looking for strong leadership. They're looking for responsible adults who are doing, who are, who are wanting to serve their constituency, uh, not not be self-serving. They they see extensive corruption, and at the root of all these bad policies is extraordinary corruption at every corruption at every level of government. And we we address that by electing people of character who will do the right thing. And uh, that that's what must happen in the midterm elections. Okay, and then last question, and this is something that is of great concern to me, and that is national security and the southern border. And uh, Jared Polis was asked recently about um, the southern border, and he says we're not a border state. Well, technically, I guess we're not a border state, but we are because I-25 is a corridor right from the border right up to Denver, and then we're seeing uh, crime. Um, and, and as far as immigration, uh, legal immigration, I think that we really – we always want to do that here in America, but I was talking with somebody the other day, and they said that there's, um, I think, 250,000 people coming across the border, and I think they said per month, uh, and I find that astonishing, and uh, we've got to get a handle on this uh, from a national security standpoint, Eric. Absolutely, Kim. It is a national security issue, and the federal government's one of its primary charges is to protect this country, to protect its citizens, and to secure our borders. The fact that the southern border is a sieve, it's being exploited by terrorist elements, it's being exploited by cartels. Uh, the fentanyl crisis is, is Chinese fentanyl coming across the southern border. It's not compassionate to have a wide-open border. It doesn't serve anybody. And so that's that's the message of the left. But at the end of the day, we need to secure our borders and also implement sound, balanced immigration policies that are compassionate. At the end of the day, this is affecting everybody. And I, I talked to a person running for state house in New Mexico who said New Mexico is becoming a, a highway for cartel activity and criminal activity coming up through. And it will it will directly impact Denver. I'd say it already is with fentanyl and uh, car theft. The, the, there's a lot of crime, illicit firearms and drugs coming across that southern border. But we can't forget 9-11. And we can't forget that there are bad actors who will exploit open borders. Well, and I guess that I will ask you one other question then. And that is, here we have these policies that are... I think putting everyday people at risk. I mean, when somebody's car is stolen, that affects their lives. We are now number one in bank robberies in Colorado as well. And so crime, not having a safe community uh, is kind of one of the the first things that makes it difficult to have businesses. Like, I, I won't go downtown unless I would just have to. I can't imagine what's happening to those businesses there. But the the Second Amendment, we then we have... These same people that are making 
with our policies, our, our communities less safe, that they are out there wanting to say that they want to limit the access of everyday hardworking people's um, their access to firearms, which people that's kind of the last line of defense to protect your family is your firearm. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think the cognitive dissonance of the left is astonishing in this respect. They both want to take away your ability to defend yourself while undermining law enforcement and defunding the police. They, it seems as though they want to stimulate chaos throughout society. And they know the statistics as well as we do. The most tightly controlled uh, gun control laws in the country have the highest incidences of gun violence. So we must uphold the Second Amendment. We also need to support our law enforcement and restore their integrity so that they feel confident that they're backed by our leaders and the American people to do their job. But crime is out of control for a reason. It's a direct result of these radical progressive policies. We must uphold the Second Amendment, uh, both both as in, in order to uh, mitigate crime uh, and also the, the threat of tyranny. I mean, that's the original intention of the Second Amendment, and we can see the government trying to accumulate power and attacking individual freedom at an unprecedented rate. So I'm a staunch defender of the Second Amendment because it's not only an unalienable right to defend yourself, but it's it's intrinsic in our ability to mitigate crime when law enforcement is in duress. Okay. Hey, Eric Odlin, thank you so much. What? How would you like to button this up, and how can people get more information about you? Well, I need people to get out and vote in the primary. Vote for me. I'm top line on the ballot. Check out my website. I'm very transparent where I stand. It's odlandforcolorado.com, A-A-D-L-A-N-D-F-O-R, colorado.com. Uh, need your support, and I'm the, the best chance to, to take this district for Republicans. Okay, Eric Odland, thank you so much, and good luck to you. Thank you so much, Kim. Have a wonderful day. Okay, you too. And before we go to break, I uh, wanted to uh, just highlight another great sponsor of the show, and that is Kirsch Insurance Group. They're specialists in the Medicare arena, and they work with a lot of different carriers, so it's not just one size fits all. It's a lot of different choices there. It doesn't cost you anything to work with them, uh, and it's great to have them on your side of the table. For, so just call them for a free consultation, and uh, it's a great group of people. Marlon, Danielle, Naomi, the whole team over there can help you uh, with any of your questions regarding Medicare. So again, that's Kirsch Insurance Group. The uh, website is ikirsch.com, I-K-I-R-S-C-H.com, ikirsch.com. And uh, we'll be right back with William B. Allen. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned Remax realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of the Kim Monson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. 
All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice searching for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Uh, And excited to have on the line with me, William B. Allen. He's the editor of the new book, The State of Black America, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. And uh, William B. Allen is a resident scholar and former CEO of the Center for um, Urban Renewal and Education in Washington, D.C. He is Emeritus Professor of Political Philosophy in the Department of Political Science and Emeritus Dean of James Madison College at uh, Michigan State University. And then in 2018 to 20, he was a senior scholar in residence at the University of Colorado Boulder. Uh, William B. Allen, welcome to the show. Good morning, Kim. It's a pleasure to be with you. It is great to have you as well. And uh, so, Professor Allen, let's jump in here. Uh, this book uh, is um, it's titled The State of Black America, and let's see, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. And it's a, it's a um, number of essays. So tell us about this. Uh, how did you put this together, and why did you want to put this together? Well, two, two answers. First, of course, we put it together by soliciting from the, a wide array of experts throughout the country contributions, proposals for the book, which was described to them as an effort to make, bring clarity to the discussion about the situation in the United States with regard to the question of race. Uh, that we've been living through a period in which there's been a great deal of confusion and indeed illusion, cultivated illusion, people have tried to spread the idea of racism with a capital R. In doing so, they've injected poison into our cultural veins. And the purpose of this book is to bring clarity, historically and contemporarily. Well, well we why has it... These proposals, oh, and we accepted the best of them. Okay, and there's, what, eight essays? Is that right? There are eight essays, uh, six contributors in addition to the two essays that I contributed to it, and they cover the range of topics. Well, why is it dangerous to talk about uh, black America now? It's dangerous for the simple reason that people are being bullied and intimidated with this cry, this really bludgeon called racism with a capital R. A quick story will reveal to you how it operates. When I was uh, leaving the Commission on Civil Rights, which I served as chair in 1992, I spent time with the Wednesday group on Capitol Hill, uh, Republicans who meet informally just to discuss issues. And I brought to them an update on the country's situation, and I gave them counsel about how to talk about it and what needed to be done. When I concluded, we had an exchange, and to a person in that group, they said to me, we can't speak this way, we would be called racist. Now, that was 30 years ago, and it's only gotten worse since then. And people are intimidated from crimes of racism into silence about the most critical issues facing us. That's why it's dangerous. If there's a need for boldness to speak up in spite of the threat of cancellation and silencing. 
Okay, so Professor Allen, 30 years ago, what was it that you told them that they needed to say that at that time they didn't have the courage because they were concerned that they would be called racist? What were you telling them? I think the most important thing that I can be, and which you will now see uh, in effect the science behind in this book, was that America was not a land in which in the late 20th, early 21st century, we were still experiencing the effects of slavery. Uh, We were well beyond that, and we had seen demonstrable progress from the end of slavery forward, particularly the progress that was made clear through the exertions of the freed slaves themselves. They went through a period in which they showed dramatic growth in population, family formation, economic progress, educational progress, achieving a literacy rate of 50% already by 1920. And that progress continued up through the 1940s into the 1950s, despite the fact that from the beginning of the 20th century to then, we were living through some of the worst periods of repression, enforced segregation, widespread lynching, and, of course, periodic riots and massacres, uh, all of which were aimed at restricting the progress of American blacks, trying to keep the genie in the bottle. But the truth is the genie was not kept in the bottle. There was a period of upswing throughout that time, which promised great things for the country, not just for American blacks. And we've seen since the 1960s, uh, we've fallen into a funk in which we persuade ourselves that black means poor, uh, black means helpless, dependent victimhood, and the country is mired in what is called systemic, institutional, structural racism, all of which is not true. It is true there are racists among us. It is not true that there's racism with a capital R. Well, and the 1960s, that was LBJ and the Great Society, where basically he said to women, black, Hispanic, white, across the spectrum, that we will take care of you and your children as long as there's not a man in the house. And that, I, th- I, th- I, th- that I think, is the beginning of just a whole, a whole array of, of problems that we have in our society today, uh, Professor Allen. You put your finger precisely on it. Lyndon Johnson declared in 1965, equal opportunity is not enough. And in that one phrase, he gave a message, especially to American blacks, you can't do it on your own. Self-government doesn't work for you. You are not capable. And the worst part is there are leaders throughout black communities across the United States who repeated that message so that people began to formulate within them, them their own minds the sense that they were dependent on the government and that they could not themselves pave the path to the future. And that has put us in a terrible situation. And what we've done in the book is try to show the way out of that. Okay, so Professor Allen, we just saw California, I think, is is trying to put through their legislature a, a reparations bill. And I've had conversations with friends of mine who are black, and I'm like, how is this fair that you would take money from somebody that's never owned slaves to give money to somebody that's never been a slave? What, what's your comments on that? Well, you've summed up precisely the problem, and it's even more complicated than that, because the question of who is an heir to slaveholding is not an easy question. There are many black people who are heirs to slaveholding, not only because there were also blacks who were slaves, very few to be sure, but there were some. But because of the great changes in American society and the rate at which the different groups are being absorbed into the mainstream, those who actually 
tracing their heritage back, will, in almost all cases, find somewhere along the way someone who held slaves or supported slavery or was engaged in defending the slavery system. Even groups like the New York Times in the 1619 Project, which is therefore bludgeoning the country with the argument that America's whole past is irredeemable, uh, it was, it, its origin in 1852, a defender of Southern slavery. So that it is simply ridiculous to think that you can parse out, distinguish those who were involved and who were not involved long after the fact, when we are in a complicated way all to some degree involved. Okay. And, but this, I think this is nothing more than, again, redistribution, Marxism, uh, and it's under the guise of, um, I think what they're, what is happening now is instead of a quote unquote class struggle, uh, the, the new Marxists are using a group struggle and identifying people in groups instead of recognizing the value of each and every individual. And that's a dangerous place where we're headed, Professor Allen. You know, so right again, you put your finger exactly on it. This started at the end of the 19th century when a social science emerged that began to tell the country it is not individuals who count, it is groups that count. You can't be represented as a human being. You must be represented with your respective race or ethnic tribe and that it, is, it takes an administrative state to oversee these separate groups and manage them into some kind of arrangement of harmony. Well, that's utterly nonsense. The, the, the reality is the promise of America, the American heritage, is that all human beings are capable of self-government, and all human beings can indeed exercise personal agency to improve their own circumstances in life, and more importantly, to contribute to our collective happiness and security. Um, this is fascinating. I Let's go to break. I'm talking w- with Professor uh, William B. Allen regarding his new book. It's, it has uh, eight essays in it. It's The State of Black America, uh, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. I want to talk about the promise of the Republic because I think that that is so important. Fascinating conversation. So we're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, the charity, the nonprofit that I have adopted, is, and it's really a lot of it because of all the we do over with America's Veterans Stories, uh, but is the USMC Memorial Foundation, which they are re, uh, raising money to remodel the Marine Memorial out at 6th and Colfax. And it's going to be just beautiful. There's going to be these different walkways. And so you can buy a brick on the walkway to honor your uh, your family member, your loved one who has served our country. And then they're also going to have a place for stories, reflection. And uh, so it's, it's just a great thing to help us remember our history. And uh, so you can buy a brick or you can donate and you can get all that information at USMCMemorialFoundation.org. That's USMCMemorialFoundation.org. We'll be right back with Professor uh, William B. Allen. Medical freedom, patient choice, and informed consent are all staples of comprehensive health care. You'll find exactly that at Roots Medical, located in the Denver Tech Center, offering specialties in hormones, thyroid, gut health, detox, and COVID recovery. Functional, comprehensive primary health care. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your health care concerns. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. Roots Medical is a proud member of Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom. 
Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Get to the range at Franktown Firearms and get your shooting skills back in shape. You consider yourself an experienced shooter, but you haven't been to the range in a while. Remember, defensive shooting skills are perishable. Firing a gun is not like riding a bike. Unless you practice regularly, don't count on your muscle memory to kick in when you need it. The team at Franktown Firearms believes the only difference between a beginner and an expert is practice. They want to give you the certainty that in a fight-or-flight scenario, you won't freeze. Imagine your frustration should you find yourself in the situation where you need to defend yourself or others, and you don't react the way you thought you would. Make sure you can count on your instincts. Sign up for a membership now. Mention KLZ Radio for a discount on your initiation fee. Walk-ins and non-members also welcome. Visit klzradio.com slash franktown now. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. Americans Veteran Stories with Kim Munson, Sunday afternoons at 3, here on KLZ 560 AM and KLZ 100.7. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Uh, very interesting conversation with Professor William B. Allen regarding his new book, The State of Black America, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. And it is uh, it includes eight essays. And he says, in the 21st century, it, it is dangerous to ask the wrong question about the state of black America, but we need to be having these honest conversations uh, about this. So, Professor Allen, this last component that you have here, the promise of the republic, and one of the things when we see the, um, I want to say, radical activists that have taken over the Democrat Party, they want to tear down the republic. They want to, they've uh, said that, oh, the founders of America were just a bunch of old, rich, white guys that owned slaves. And there is some truth in that. However, they don't go on to, to talk about the whole story, and that is that slavery was prevalent throughout the world. We still have uh, slavery in our world today. We should be fighting that uh, in our world today. But with Jefferson... The idea that he would say that all men are created equal in the Declaration with these rights from God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that doesn't match up to slavery. And so that was the foundation of the Republic. Um, and it wasn't very many years later that we had the Civil War because they wanted to answer that question. Uh, I'd be, well, tell me what you think about this. Oh, I think it is absolutely true to say that at the founding, we had a complicated story. Uh, listen, the reality is that slavery was a cancer. Uh, but it is also the reality that people recognized that it was a cancer with growing urgency 
from the founding forward. Stephen Hopkins, a descendant of one of the people who arrived at Jamestown in 1609 and again on the Mayflower in 1619, was the governor of Rhode Island who was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, who had a couple of slaves and who, in the hour of the Declaration of Independence and Revolution, gave up the slavery, was convicted that it was wrong. There were many people like that, the most important of whom was, of course, George Washington who did something more important than simply announced that slavery was wrong. That's easy for anybody to do. And he didn't just say to the slaves, you're free, you can go, uh, which is, of course, ridiculous in the context in which where are they supposed to go. <laughs> what, what, what are they supposed to do when you tell them they can now go? So what George Washington did, despite giving years of ignoring his own property and service to the country, was rebuild his estate to put it in a condition so that he could free his slaves in his will and provide for them. So that the story of slavery and the founders' relationship to it is in fact shaped by the Republic, by the founding, by the Declaration. Despite Jefferson's complicated history, there are many people who were active abolitionists from the hours of the Revolution. And through the period up to the war, when we finally removed the cancer with radical surgery, there was growing sentiment of resistance, so much so that the country was, of course, divided in debate between abolitionists and pro-slavery forces. So the real dynamic, the real story of the United States is a story that of struggle against the cancer that was inspired by the founding principles. And those principles are the principles that guide us forward now. And at the heart of those principles, there's one thing that was most important, Kim, and that is the recognition that no one can be the ruler of anyone else without that other person's consent. Personal agency. Uh, we talk about the right of self-defense. That's personal agency. We talk about providing for oneself and one's family. That's personal agency. We talk about creativity and intelligence. That's personal agency. And that applied as much to the slaves post-slavery as it did to everyone prior to slavery. And the evidence that came out of that when the slaves began to progress, when they doubled in population between 1860 and 1890. Family formation took place at an alarming rate, dynamic, historically unparalleled. Uh, my own great-grandfather only came to this country a couple of years before the end of slavery, came as a slave, as it turned out. But his family formation began that period and produced those of us who since then have been quite successful in this country. So what we're talking about, the promise of America, is precisely opening horizons of contribution and accomplishment for every human being. That's what the Republic promised. And those who are opposed to America are undermining that promise. And it is true that many of the critics of the founding are not critics in the merely abstract sense of saying these founders held slaves and that was wrong. They're critics in the sense of wanting to see America was wrong from the beginning, and America needs to be radically restructured and overthrown. And I won't deny, finally, that there are some people of goodwill who are simply mistaken, who don't understand, who embrace the arguments of those who are not a people of goodwill and who want to destroy the country. Boy, that's, uh, I hadn't really thought of thought about that like that. Okay, w w this is going way too quickly, Professor Allen, but uh, one of the points that... Um, that you had in is the about black patriotism in uh, some of this information yeah. that I have today, and with Colin um, Kaepernick kneeling mm -hmm. and with all of these these um, black 
very influential blacks that have, you know, kneeled at, at uh, sporting events and all. It, I don't think about, I hadn't thought about black patriotism because I don't think that's very patriotic. What's your thoughts on that? Well, you can do one of two things, can you not? You can either embrace America or reject America. The rejectionists, and Kaepernick is among them, are those who are lending weight to those who want to destroy the country. The, those who want to embrace the country are saying something very different. They're saying, we belong here. Uh, we've achieved our success here. We're committed here. More importantly, it's not the commitment to American blacks, per se. It's a commitment to America. So black patriotism is what we need to turn to now in this hour for America itself to be saved into the future. But we have to recognize that the alienation of a mass of citizens in the country from the United States, and the polls show 40% and more of American blacks who are alienated who don't think they belong in America or that America accepts them. But that's a, a great weakness for the country. And we overcome that weakness by reviving black patriotism in the manner of Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass, showing that the accomplishments of American blacks are not the accomplishments of American blacks alone, but of America itself. Mm. I love that. Just uh, words have so much meaning. And um, I, the fact that there's been the term African-American, uh, do you think that might play into this thought that uh, many black Americans think that they don't belong here. I think that we want to make sure that uh, we're using the term black American instead of African American. And many blacks did not come from Africa. What's your thoughts on that, Professor Allen? Well, you're now asking a question that goes to the heart of what I've been doing for several decades. I published an op-ed over 30 years ago, which, which is entitled, Why I Am Still Black. And, and in that essay, what I said was, when I became black, I became black for good. So I'm not an African-American, and if somebody calls me an African-American, I feel insulted. So I, I, I am definitely black. I'm an American black, and that's a good thing. Uh, so, so that the emphasis on this African-Americanness is part of what is fed into the alienation I was describing uh-huh. before, making people define themselves as others rather than as part of we the people that we announce in the preamble to our Constitution. It is important for us to underscore we the people, and that's what black patriotism is about. Oh, wow. Uh, We're going to have to get you back on. We're just about out of time, uh, Professor Allen. This is absolutely fascinating. We've got just a minute left. How would you like to button this up for our listeners today? I would invite them to read this book, and I want to emphasize the eight essays have divergent viewpoints, although mainly they will give you a sense of what I've been describing. We also include those who disagree. For example, they say that, yes, the Great Society programs fail, but we need more government. Uh, uh, While others say, no, we don't need more government. Government is what has gotten in the way. The the publisher, Encounter Books, where you can find this book, EncounterBooks.com or at Amazon, the same publisher recently published a book from Jason Raleigh called Please Stop Helping Us. And in many ways, this book ought to be looked upon as the sequel to that, which says, let us help you. So, so that's wow. what I would emphasize in closing. That's what black patriotism is about. That's what having a realistic view of America is about. That's what's recognizing that there is no racism with a capital R. There's only responsibility with a capital R. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Well, again, you can get the book in, at EncounterBooks.com, and it is The State of Black America, uh, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. Uh, Professor Allen, we will need to get you back very soon. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure, and you're most welcome, Kim. And uh, our quote for the end of the show is because this is the 80th anniversary of the Battle of Midway, the World War II battle, is Chester W. Nimitz. He said, through the skill and devotion to duty of their armed forces of all branches in the Midway area, our citizens can now rejoice that a momentous victory is in the making. So, my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you and God bless America. It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. An early childhood taxing district, what on earth is that? The latest in politics and world affairs. I don't think that we should be passing legislation that is so complicated that people kind of throw up their hands and say, oh, I can't understand it. Today's current opinions and ideas. It is not fair that just because you're a big business that you get a break on this and the little guy doesn't. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the second hour of the Kim Munson Show. I so appreciate you joining us. You're each treasured, valued. You have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, you were made for this moment. And thank you to this team I work with. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, and all of the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. Happy Friday to you, producer Steve. Finally, Friday. Fabulous Friday. You name it. It's finally fab. It's finally fabulous Friday. How's oh, that? There you go. Ha ha! You're so yes. creative. Ha ha! Yes. And uh, check out our website. Speaking of creativity, there's a lot of great information over there. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. You'll get first look at our upcoming guests. These essays that uh, we have uh, people writing are just super important. Uh, lots of different. Uh, viewpoints, great information there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice searching for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the, through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And my friends, it is never compassionate to take other people's stuff. And that would be um, their property, their rights, their freedom, their livelihood. It's, it's never compassionate to take it via force. And force comes in a lot of different ways. It can be a weapon, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation. That's a big one right now, taking taking your stuff. And, of course, the globalist elite's agenda. And uh, if something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it, Producer Steve. I don't know if you were able to hear all of the USA Radio News. One of the stories was Elon Musk sending out, you know, through his network to all his uh, executives to put a freeze on hiring because he doesn't feel good about the economy. So, yeah. Oh, boy. And when Elon, when Elon Musk says something, uh, it seems like everybody's paying attention these days. Uh, and that is why it is so important. They are trying to break our country. Colorado is broken right now. You look at high crime. Uh, our kids are, instead of focusing on reading, writing, arithmetic, science, history, civics, all that stuff, uh, they're focusing on um, uh, sexualizing our kids. 
uh, and then also uh, trying to divide them through racism. But speaking of that, there is uh, this one headline that this is from Campfire, Colorado, and it says the Denver Botanic Gardens are hosting a drag queen story time for children. And it says the Botanic Gardens uh, had said it's going to be Saturday, June 18th. And it says, dress up as your favorite pollinator and join us for a very special story time in honor of Pride and Pollinator Month. And it's Drag Queen Story Time, and they have a wonderful host, Paula Nader. Now, when Campfire Colorado reached out to get more information about this from the Denver Botanic Gardens, uh, there was basically no comment. They uh, would not comment at all on that. And... My friends, this is, in essence, this is grooming our kids, uh, and this has got to stop. Uh, and so here's this question. It's a public facility is being used that lives off of tax dollars and, of course, uh, ticket sales from the public. I know it's a freedom of speech issue, uh, and I always like to come down on the side of freedom of speech. And so I guess in a free market, people should not patronize this thing. What do you think, Steve? I'm just trying to imagine what parent would want to really, really want to take their kid to something like this. You know, and uh, yeah, and uh, so it's not funny anymore. It's uh, they are actually coming after our kids. And so it's uh, rather remarkable. And I, I have to tell you, I was on my way to church a few weeks ago and I was driving by one of the. Uh, rec centers in Highlands Ranch and on the sign it said that there was going to be a drag queen story hour as well and uh, and again these are public um, public uh, facilities um, one one mess I think maybe what we should ask is is that really should we be funding you know tax money for the botanic gardens it should be plants we go and we see plants there versus all of this uh, facilities other facilities. So I think that's another big question. We'll talk about that at some other time. I want to get right through our quote for today because uh, Steve Cruz is on the line here shortly with Three Points Financial. But this is the 80th anniversary of the Battle of Midway, which was a very important battle, uh, 1942, uh, you know, near the early time of the war, where we destroyed four of the Japanese aircraft carriers. And that was a, a real devastating blow to the Japanese. And we talked more about it and gave more history about that in the first hour. And the way the show works is we're live 6 to 8 a.m. The first hour is rebroadcast 1 to 2 in the afternoon. The second hour, 10 to 11 at night. And then we will have the podcast and the show summary on our website, typically by the end of the day, sometimes on the weekend. Uh, on Fridays, it's a little bit later on the weekend. But so our quote for today is from Chester Nimitz. And uh, let me get to it here. Uh, where do I have it? Got all of these. Uh... Sorry, Steve. I got, got it. Many pieces of paper. You got it. Okay. Yes. God grant me the courage not to give up what I think is right, even though I think it is hopeless. This this quote was meant for me. <laughs> and that's Chester Nimitz. He was the fleet admiral of the United States Navy uh, during World War II. He was born in 1885. He died in 1966. And again. God grant me the courage not to give up what I think is right, even though I think it is hopeless. And uh, and ultimately, uh, the United States was successful in World War II uh, to um, to uh, fight the tyranny of both the Japanese and of Hitler's Germany. But 1942, 
there were a lot of questions out there. Let's uh, let's jump over here to Steve Cruz. He is co-owner of Three Points Financial and their great partner of the show. And uh, wanted to talk with him uh, about return on life versus return on money. I find that a very fascinating subject. Steve Cruz, welcome to the show. Morning, Kim. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so return on life versus return on money. Tell us about that. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, a lot of times we, especially we're guilty of this in the financial industry, is we focus on first, you know, we want, we focus on, you know, we'll turn on investment or making people's money grow, which is what we help people do. You know, we help people minimize taxes. We help their, them grow their wealth. But at the end of the day, um, just having more money doesn't necessarily make anybody more happy or give fulfillment. And so, we try to help clients think through how can you shift the focus from return on investment to return on life. And so are you getting the best life possible with the money that you, that you have? Um, and, and, and I'm a big fan of uh, Mitch Anthony, who is an author and speaker on this topic of you know, return on, on life. And he talks about a few different categories. And so there's a few different categories where we can help clients think through and utilize their financial resources to generate a larger return on, on life or impact their life in a positive way or the, the ones around them in a positive way. Um, and the first big category is well-being. Uh, you hear the phrase health is wealth, and it's so true. Um, so you know, the first aspect of well-being is, uh, you know, are you maintaining your health? Do you feel good? Um, and are there, are there things that you can use your, can use your financial resources to enhance your health or help your health. Uh, another one is relationships. You know, how are your relationships with family, friends, and how does money impact that? Uh, many times the money impacts that negatively uh, with, with the wrong view on money or the wrong relationship with money. Uh, so we, again, help them think, how can you get, you know, more return on life in the area of your relationships? What are some things that you can do? And, and money can play a role in that. Um, Housing, where you live, return on residence, and then return on security. Um, you know, being financially secure can provide uh, enhance your, your people's well-being as well. And so, on the well-being side, we, we help clients think through what are these different areas of life that really do impact happiness and fulfillment, and what role does your financial resources? play in that. So that's one category of well-being, and maybe in future episodes I can talk about some of the other categories um, where we can you know, leverage return on investment and to return on life. Oh, I love this. Uh, Steve Cruz, uh, well-being, the relationships, housing, security. Yes, we'll continue this conversation. We uh, always uh, feature you on, on Fridays, and so I'll be excited to hear what uh, the next subject will be. But Three Points Financial focuses on three different things. That's investments, tax planning, and financial retirement planning. But as, as the, they bring all of these other things into the equation as well, well-being. How can people reach you, Steve Cruz? Easiest way to just be good to our website, threepointsfinancial.com. And that's three spelt out, threepointsfinancial.com. And then there's a contact us section, and they can schedule a time uh, where we can talk. Fantastic. And we'll talk to you next week, uh, Steve Cruz. You have a great weekend. 
Thanks, you too, Kim. Bye. Okay. And we're going to go to break. When we come back, uh, our guest is uh, Professor Eugene Volick. He is a law professor at UCLA. We're going to talk about freedom of speech. You won't want to miss it. Stay tuned. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of the Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And thank you to all of our sponsors and all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Uh, and want to talk about freedom of speech this uh, these next two segments because it is under assault in America. And I talked with a professor friend of mine and said, who should I talk to about freedom of speech? And, and it precipitated somewhat when I found a quote by Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., Supreme Court Justice, when he was talking that, about freedom of speech and that it should only be curtailed if there was a clear and present danger to the country. And I got connected with Dr. Eugene Volick. And uh, quite a, a resume, but I just wanted to let you know a little bit about him. He immigrated from the Soviet Union at the age of seven, and he began working as a computer programmer at the age of 12. That same year, he entered UCLA and co-founded a software company. And the following year, he began writing technical papers, presenting them at computer conferences and having them published in technical computer magazines. In 1983, at the age of 15, Professor Volokh graduated from UCLA with a degree in mathematics and computer science. Fascinated by law and anxious to involve himself in more people-orientated activities, he enrolled in the UCLA School of Law, where he quickly established himself as the school's most academically successful student in nearly two decades. And then he was a managing editor of the UCL Law Review, so, Professor Volick, what exactly do you do at UCLA now? 
Uh, well, I've been a law professor here uh, for 28 years now, and uh, being a professor at a research university means mostly what I do is I uh, do research. I write uh, academic articles about a variety of topics. Uh, um, I have one coming out on uh, pseudonymity in civil litigation. I've written a lot about various free speech issues, some about religious freedoms, some about the Second Amendment, some about criminal law and tort law. Um, and I also teach, uh, although actually I spend more of my time doing research than teaching. And I also um, uh, write a blog that uh, used to be independent and was hosted by the Washington Post. Now it's hosted by Reason Magazine. It's called The Volokh Conspiracy. It's a little joke. And it's at reason.com slash Volokh. Um, and that's, that's my way of trying to convey various academic ideas that, um, uh, that I've come up with and that are just in the news uh, to the broader public. For example, right now I'm blogging about slippery slope arguments based on an article actually I wrote many years ago, but I thought that that's a, that's a topic that's, uh, that's worthwhile for people to, uh, to consider. Professor Volokh, we are on a very slippery slope right now here in America, and one of the bedrocks of the American idea is freedom of speech. And so wanted to ask you about Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr.'s uh, definition of a clear and present danger. And this, this all occurred in, in a Supreme Court decision back in like 1919 or something like that, right? Uh, right. Um, so uh, freedom of speech has been tremendously important in American political life uh, uh, ever since since before the, the revolution. In fact, the revolution was prompted by free speech uh, by Americans who are critical uh, of the uh, British government. Uh, however, the U.S. Supreme Court hadn't really involved itself much in free speech issues. And when lower courts considered free speech arguments, they often uh, gave them short shrift. Uh, so... Um, uh, Justice uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, joined by Justice Louis Brandeis, uh, were among, uh, were basically the two leading voices on the court, starting with the late teens and into the 1920s and, uh, and early 30s, um, in favor of the Supreme Court doing more to enforce free speech rights and taking a broader view of free speech. As it happens, Justice Holmes began uh, with some cases, including the one in which he um, uh, set forth this clear and present danger standard, cases where he upheld speech restrictions. And he actually viewed the clear and present danger standard as pretty pretty friendly to the government that was trying to restrict speech, especially during wartime. Uh, but then... Um, uh, not long after, he started uh, uh, he started uh, uh, urging the court to enforce that standard in a much more sp speech protective way. The clear and present danger standard, by the way, was very important in the evolution of free speech doctrine. It's not as significant now, uh, which is uh, it's actually good because uh, free speech doctrine has evolved quite a bit uh, beyond that and to standards that are actually more speech protective than that. So what do you think about this DGB, Biden's DGB, the Disinformation Governance Board, which it looks like, well, they said they were putting on, on pause, but I just saw a headline that they are um, actually uh, trying to, to, to take that off a of pause. What's your thoughts on that, Professor Volokh? Well, um, so as with uh, so much in life, the devil is in the details. 
Um, so the government, if the government wanted to suppress disinformation, or what it calls disinformation and misinformation, by, let's say, throwing people in jail for that, or taking away their uh, broadcasting licenses, uh, or uh, um, uh, allowing people to sue them, uh, that would be a very serious problem. Now, some kinds of misinformation are indeed punishable that way. For example, uh, knowingly false statements and sometimes even negligently false statements about particular people that damage their reputation, that's libel uh, or, that, or sometimes slander. That's something that can be punished. But generally speaking, the government doesn't have broad power to punish this and misinformation. At the same time, the government does have the power to respond to what it views as dis and misinformation, and it probably should, right? Uh, uh, let's say a police department. Let, let's say there's some rumor going around about some kind of some kind of crime, about, I don't know, some burglar who's breaking into people's homes, and the police department realized that's just not true, and people are getting scared, and people are uh, uh, let us say more scared than they should be here than the, the than uh, of, of crime, but people are getting worried about a particular problem that's actually not a problem in that community at that time. We'd expect the police department to put out a press release, right, saying, you know, this just isn't true. Likewise, with the Centers for Disease Control. One reason we hire them is so that they spread accurate information and respond to inaccurate claims. Uh, so to, so it's hard to know exactly how this disinformation government bo governance board would have been implemented. Um, uh, but I do see that the, I can see why people were concerned, especially with a name like disinformation governance board. They were concerned that the government would do what the government often does, which is suppress uh, uh, speech and, and restrict people from what they're doing rather than just speak up on its own. Well, and that was going to be my next question, and that is suppression of speech. Uh, we have seen through the reaction to uh, COVID-19, the uh, Wuhan China virus, that that there's been suppression of information, but it's been done via big tech, not the government, but yet it seems to me like they were working together. So this looks like new ground to me, Professor Volokh. Well, so, um, so it's a complicated question, in part because there are two things going on there. One is, what should we think about suppression by uh, big tech? Um, the First Amendment, of course, its first word is Congress. Congress shall make no law. So, uh, so originally it applied only to the federal government, not the state or local governments. Then the 14th Amendment, after the Civil War, said no state shall do certain things, and that has been read as applying the First Amendment and most of the rest of the Bill of Rights to state and local governments. But none of that, uh, by its terms, applies to private entities. Uh, so that's not a question of First Amendment, but it might be a question of free speech. And one way of thinking about it is, uh, let's look at different kinds of government, uh, private entities. Let's say a newspaper says we're not going to publish certain kinds of claims because we think they're wrong. You know, that's, that's not only constitutionally permissible, it's actually constitutionally protected. The government can't restrict the newspaper's editorial judgment in this respect. Indeed, one reason we subscribe to newspapers is because we trust their editorial judgment and we count on them to look at all of these claims out there, which are there are too many for us to go through, and we don't have the expertise to go through them, but we trust the newspaper editors to go through all those claims and figure out which ones are worth passing along to the readers. 
So if social media platforms are more like newspapers, then it's good that they uh, that they uh, uh, edit, that they uh, that they filter, that they judge what ought to be passed along. On the other hand, let's think about phone companies. Those are also private companies, but we don't expect them to say, "Okay, fine, we're going to cancel your phone line because we know it's being used as recruitment for." Uh, the Klan or recruitment for Antifa or being used to spread uh, spread what we think are false messages. No, that's not the job of the phone company. And in fact, it's illegal for the phone company to do that because a phone company is a so-called common carrier. So one question that one might have is, where should social media platforms fall on that spectrum? And maybe where should different features of the social media platforms fall? The second question is, what should we think when the government urges social media platforms to restrict uh, people's speech in certain ways? If the government really coerces them, if the government says, you better restrict speech or else we'll we'll fine you, well, that clearly would be the government restricting speech. But what if the government urges them? And again, this is something that comes up in other contexts as well. Let's say, the, let's say that you're about to t- break some story about some crime investigation, and the police chief calls you up and says, look, I know I can't stop you from running this story. If you run this story, you're perfectly within your legal rights to do that. But it's going to damage the investigation because it's going to reveal to the person that we're looking for certain information that will make it harder for us to catch him and harder for the prosecutors to prosecute him. So could you see your way clear to not including this information in this story? Um, uh, that's something that I think the police department is free to do. Likewise, if it hears you're about to run a story and it thinks that story is wrong, they're perfectly free to call you up and say, look, I know you're trying to do right by your, by your listeners. I know you don't want to spread false information. Let us tell you why uh, we think this information is false. Again, they're entitled to do that. Uh, so one question that comes up is when does this kind of interaction between the government and private media, when does it become too coercive or otherwise improper? And that's a difficult question. Boy, that really is. And let's go to break and talk about that, because that is, uh, it's been fascinating in a, in a, it's such an interesting way what has happened with the big government and big tech. And I'm talking with uh, doc, excuse me, Professor Eugene Volokh, and uh, he is with the UCLA Law School, and uh, he's an expert on freedom of speech issues. So let's go to break. We'll continue the conversation with Professor Volokh. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. 
That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out my website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And uh, I am just really thrilled to have on the line with me uh, Professor Eugene Volick. And he is the Gary T. Schwartz Distinguished Professor of Law at UCLA. And he also clerked for Justice uh, Sandra Day O'Connor at the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, and uh, just fascinating. What, what a resume you have, Professor Volick. Um, uh, uh, thanks. It, uh, it's I've had I've had some very interesting jobs, and uh, uh, very, um, I've very much enjoyed uh, enjoyed my career in the law. Well, and uh, so during the break, you mentioned when I said, "Oh my gosh, you clerked for Justice O'Connor." Uh, you had a couple of other people that you were uh, associated with that is quite interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, so I clerked for Justice uh, O'Connor, but I clerked the same year as uh, um, Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch. Uh, we were we were young law clerks together, and I know Neil Gorsuch is from Colorado and served for many years as a, uh, a federal appellate judge in in uh, Colorado. Um, also, uh, I clerked for uh, Judge Allison Ide, who was uh, a justice in the Colorado Supreme Court and is now a judge uh, uh, with, um, uh, uh, on the Tenth Circuit. So she she was clerking for Justice Thomas, uh, Neil Gorsuch for Justices White and Kennedy, um, Brett Kavanaugh for Justice Kennedy, and, uh, and I was at the O'Connor Chambers. So what does a, a clerking for a Supreme Court justice, what does that entail, Professor Volokh? Uh, well, uh, generally speaking, uh, the law clerks are, are uh, kind of legal assistants to the justice, legal advisors. Obviously, the justice is much more knowledgeable in general about law, much more experienced about law than the law clerks who are just a year or two out of law school. But at the same time, you know, the justice just doesn't uh, doesn't know all the details of every case uh, that, that comes before her. Uh, so our job is to read the briefs, uh, uh, read petitions to, for the Supreme court, uh, asking the court to review cases, read the actual briefs once the court has agreed to hear a case, um, uh, and then write up a memo to the justice ex- explaining the issues and, and suggesting what we think is the right result. Then the justice decides, and then all nine justices vote and uh, uh, decide what the, what the result ought to be. And then, generally speaking, it's the law clerks who draft the opinions, subject to editing by the justice. Um, so, so obviously, we work for the justice and for the Supreme Court. Uh, we, they say, <laughs> well, not anymore. <laughs> uh, th- uh, uh, Twenty-eight years and change ago, uh, uh, ago, I, I, uh, that, that's what we were doing. Um, uh, so we work for them, uh, and it's their decisions. But at the same time, uh, most, almost all the opinions that come out from the Supreme Court are actually drafted by by the law clerks. Although, again pursuant to instructions and subject to the editing of the justice. 
Fascinating. And the same so, thing is true, generally speaking, in federal um, appellate courts, so below the Supreme Court, and federal trial courts as well, and in many state courts, too. And so that's really where young attorneys really can, you know, cut their chops on, on um, law for sure. And what an honor to be a law clerk. So that that brings up the question regarding the um, leak regarding the Roe v. Wade potential decision and the leak of that brief. What's your thoughts on that, Professor Volokh? Yeah, uh, I'm against it in part because you know I think lawyers realize that uh, one of the most important features of a lawyer is the ability to keep confidential information that's supposed to be confidential. That's true if you're a lawyer working for for an individual client. It's true if you're a lawyer uh, working for a judge. Um, uh, and functionally, I think it's important to maintain the confidentiality of Supreme Court deliberations and draft opinions because what we want the Supreme Court to, to be is a deliberative institution where people might change each other's minds. Um, it doesn't have to be this way. You could imagine, okay, there are nine justices. Each one makes his own decision. They don't talk to each other, but they just make their decision, and we figure out which, which result uh, 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 gets five votes. But that's not what we do. We're hoping that somebody might draft an opinion, and people say, you know, that's not the way I thought of things at first, but I find this quite persuasive. Or maybe somebody else drafts an opinion, and somebody says, you know, I originally was going to go with a majority, but now I'm going to go with a dissent, and maybe make the dissent into the majority. Uh, that's important because, in principle, that, that ought to be based on people's judgment about about what's the right answer, subject to being persuaded by other people whom they work with and trust and respect. That's a lot harder when deliberations are potentially publicized, um, uh, because then people worry, well, wait a minute, you know, if I, um, uh, if I uh, now, now that people know that this is the particular result, if I change my mind, it'll look like I'm subject to, to um, public pressure, or people might be reluctant wow. to write a memo in a particular way because they're going to be afraid that it's going to appear on the front page of the newspaper uh, the next day. This having been said, I can understand why some people actually welcome uh, the leak. They, their view is, look, uh, um, these, are, these are government employees, government officials, spending government money, uh, discharging government power. We're their bosses. We're the citizens. Um, uh, they are doing things in our name. We should be entitled to know more about what's going on. And that, by the way, is generally the view in the executive branch and legislative branches as to many things. Um, there are various states that have government in the Sunshine Acts, which require not just disclosure of public documents, but require that, that meetings of uh, various government uh, bodies occur in public and maybe even invalidate uh, the decisions uh, of those bodies if, if um, they were done behind closed doors. So, so I can understand why people might want to apply the same thing to courts. But that's not the way, that's not the way our courts have generally worked. It's not the understanding on which judges hire law clerks. And that's why I think a lot of lawyers are very upset with somebody, whether it's a law clerk or somebody else, um, breaking essentially a promise of confidentiality that they made, and one that, that, again, despite the arguments for openness, I think on balance, confidentiality serves the court well in this situation, or would serve it well if we had it. 
Okay. And when when you say that they're trying to get to the right answer, the right answer is a constitutional answer, correct? Uh, well, it doesn't have to be the constitutional answer. In some situations, it could be the right answer under statutes or under common law. But, yeah, it's the right answer according to the law. Uh, so it's not their job to say, well, I think this is the right answer because it's the morally right answer. Uh, we don't hire them as our moral guardians. We hire them as, in, order to, uh, in order to enforce and interpret the law. This having been said, the fact remains that as to many questions, including many constitutional questions, there are plausible right answers going both ways under the law, and the judges in considerable measure help make the law, help mold the law, help evolve the law, and don't just apply the law. You can, um, in some situations, it's pretty clear it's just application of settled legal principles. But there's enough that's unsettled, that's unclear in our legal system, that judges do change the law. That's just the reality, and it's hard to imagine a situation where it would be otherwise. Okay. Um, fascinating. I We've got just a little bit of time left, Professor Volokh, and want to go back to this freedom of speech, big tech, governments, I don't know what the word is exactly, but the urging, I think that's the word that you use. So there's been this um, 230 law, Section 230, that uh, President Trump, I think, wanted to get that overturns. It, it gives protections to uh, big tech, to um, I guess, do some censorship. What's your thoughts about that whole issue? Well, it's also complicated. Um, there are great arguments going both ways on it. Um, it's complicated also because there are actually two important provisions in 230. One provision, and this is a federal statute that was enacted in the mid-1990s, it's Section 230 of uh, Title 47 of the United States Code. People call it Section 230 generally. Um, it, uh, one of its provisions says that platforms, not just platforms, but all other, other websites too, but let's just focus on platforms, uh, are not liable for material that their users post. So if a platform keeps up my post, and it turns out my post is defamatory of someone, or my post invades someone's privacy, they can't be sued for for defamation or invasion of privacy. I can be sued, but they can't be sued. So in a sense, um, uh, that means that in that respect, platforms are treated like like phone companies, which, as I mentioned, they uh, phone companies aren't allowed to block people uh, from using the phone lines, but, but also as a result, they're not liable for people using phone lines. You, you can't sue a phone company because some outgoing answering machine message is, is defamatory. Likewise, you can't sue a platform. So that's one feature of Section 230, which is controversial. A second feature is that it also provides that platforms can't be sued for removing stuff, at least in certain situations. How broad that actually is is complicated because the language is unclear. Um, so 230, on one hand, gets platforms off the hook uh, for, remove, for keeping stuff up. It also gets them off the hook for removing stuff. And in that respect, platforms are less like a phone company, because phone companies can't remove stuff, and more like a newspaper or a bookstore, which is entitled to pick and choose what, uh, what to include on its property. Uh, so Section 230 essentially gives platforms and other websites the best of both worlds. 
they get uh, uh, the editorial discretion uh, of a newspaper or a bookstore, but then they get the um, uh, they get the immunity from defamation and similar liability that a phone company gets. Uh, so the question is, should we modify either part of or both parts or maybe neither part of it? And uh, there are, again, great arguments to be had in both directions. Oh, very interesting. So we're about out of time. Uh, Professor Volokh, this has been interest, so interesting. Freedom of speech. How would you like to button up this interview? Uh, well, let me just say, I teach a class which is uh, uh, four uh, four units, so that's basically um, uh, uh, that's basically fifty class hours more or less on the First Amendment, and of that, about two thirds is on free speech. Uh, so, free speech law is very complicated. Uh, uh, we've only we've only touched the surface. There are other questions like, what about speech on government property or speech by government employees? What about uh, what about uh, hardcore pornography? Is that fully protected by the First Amendment? What about threats of violence? What about so-called fighting words? So, it's a, so uh, I've tried to make a career out of writing about free speech because there's so much. There's so much to be said about it. So, so it's, it's always a pleasure to talk about it, but just it ends up being a complicated concept because speech is complicated and life is complicated so it's unsurprising uh, that there are a lot of questions that are that, are, that have their own rules uh, uh, and their own complications in, in the free speech area well wow, it is so important though it is a bedrock of this whole American idea but professor Volek, I'd love to have you uh, back because I, as you mentioned we just have scratched the surface on this but freedom of speech is uh, in the First Amendment it's a bedrock of the American idea so thank you so much professor Volek. Very much my pleasure. All the best. Okay. And we will be right back. We want to hear from you. 303-477-5600. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Medical freedom and personal choice are both sacred to comprehensive, patient-first healthcare. At Roots Medical, our providers honor those rights diligently in every appointment. Located in Denver Tech Center, Roots Medical is a functional primary care clinic with specialties in hormones, thyroid, gut health, detox, and COVID recovery. Establishing care with us is just a text message away, 303-569-6794. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. Roots Medical is a proud member of Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom. Buying a gun alone doesn't make you safe. Recently, the team at Franktown Firearms has been working with a lot of beginners who just want to feel safe. Widows living alone who need to protect themselves. People with arthritis in their hands who may struggle to load or rack a handgun, depending on the model. Anyone can learn defensive shooting skills, and buying a gun is a great first step. But you need to know how to use it confidently. The team at Franktown Firearms encourages everyone to try out different guns on the range before purchasing. Right now, mention KLZ to receive a free hour on the range when you purchase a new firearm. 
Once you've purchased your firearm, the team at Franktown advises you to sign up for one of their basic training courses or one-on-one instruction so you can become completely comfortable with that particular gun. Free gun rentals are included with private training lessons. Visit klzradio.com slash franktown now. Franktown Firearms, where friends are made. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. I so appreciate it. We're an independent voice searching for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And uh, before we get over to callers, I'd love to hear from you. 303-477-5600, 303-477-5600. I uh, want to hear what's on your radar. Uh, but I uh, want to give a shout out to the nonprofit, the charity that I have adopted, and it's really because of all our, of our work with the Veteran Stories over on America's Veteran Stories, which broadcasts on Sunday afternoons, 3 to 4 p.m. on all KLZ platforms. And then there's Encore uh, broadcast uh, Sundays 10 to 11 at night and Saturdays 10 to 11 at night as well. And this week's featured interview is with Tricia Hood. Fascinating in- interview. Her husband, Don, passed on in 2012, but he was an optometrist. But uh, in the Vietnam War, at the age of 22, he enlisted, and he uh, became a member of the 82nd Airborne and parachuted in with the uh, 82nd Airborne to um, front lines and, and so that he could provide eyeglasses when they were uh, our soldiers' eyeglasses were damaged. So fascinating story there. Uh, Producer C, while we wait, and I, don't be shy. I do want to hear from you, 303-477-5600, 303-477-5600. In our pre-call, you brought something up very interesting about the these woke corporations and what has been happening to their stock price. Uh, in particular, you mentioned Disney and Netflix. You know, uh, the, the whole aspect of or concept of these uh, companies, these corporations thinking they have to lecture uh, America on what the way things should be or wokeism. So Disney, yes, uh, I both of these particular entities, Disney and Netflix. I I looked at the one year snapshot of their stack stock price. Disney is down seventy points. Netflix is down a whopping three hundred points. And in the piece that I heard this morning, Netflix uh, basically is endured two hundred thousand cancellations or so of their subscription but they say that number could go as high as two million so in supporting your assumption or, or what you're seeing uh, in terms of people waking up and and you know pushing back let's say this this definitely supports it uh, an even more fun one was okay what was the the big summer of our discontent was in 2020 when uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa really started pushing the boundaries. Coca-Cola was one of the first ones to jump off this cliff. And if sure enough, if you go back and do a five-year scan of their stock price, you'll see in the summer of 2020, they had a 30-point drop, and they've been slowly struggling to get back up to where they were prior to that. That's so interesting that you would say that because of all the uh, soda pops out there, uh, Coca-Cola was my favorite. But I'll say since um, I saw them become woke, I have maybe had two, two of the uh, two um, 
drinks uh, two Coca-Colas through that whole time. And, and I, I don't drink a lot of, uh, pop, but that would be mine of choice. But I will look at it and I'll say, do I want that Coke or do I want that iced tea? Of course, iced tea is probably healthier for me anyway. So sure. I go with iced tea. Sure it is. But, um, but uh, yes, I've I've just made a, a conscious choice. I haven't gone out there and asked everybody else to boycott them. But I think what you're seeing is Americans don't want to be lectured to, and they certainly don't want these woke agendas uh, being forced upon us. And so I think it's a very subtle thing that is happening, Steve. Okay. And uh, so, yes. So I'm going to take a look here. The 52-week high, I'm looking at Walt Disney. Probably Walt Disney would like to take his name off of this right now. 52-week high was 187.58. As of right now, it's 109 and change. And then Netflix, let's take a look here. One year, their high was 691.69. And they are now at 200 and change as well. So, yeah, that's that's a pretty significant drop. So let's talk with Ann in Denver. Ann in Denver, what is on your radar? Well, I'm getting ready to go to the Western Conservative Summit today. And I just wanted other people to know that if they go to that website, Western Conservative Summit, um, you can um, uh, see if you want to attend these uh, wonderful speakers and workshops. So I like to support it. I've gone almost every year, and um, I find that the networking that we do, and it's great to hear what happened to these two stocks, because if we can't stop this, um, this is this is so outrageous, um, you know, to um, do what those companies are doing and promoting. Um, uh, we can vote with our feet and our dollars. So anyway, I just encourage people to uh, consider attending the Western Conservative Summit. It's out near the airport at the Gaylord Rockies. And uh, okay, that's that's well, what thanks I so much. Okay, okay, thank uh, you. Thanks so much, Ann in Denver, and uh, she's going to be out at the Western Conservative Summit today. I know that they've got some very cool speakers there, so that should be very interesting. You know, another uh, stock. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Cut you off. No, go another ahead. stock that we we do want to focus in on. Watch it, hopefully, as it starts to drop, and that is Starbucks. Okay, let me take a look at that. Where's that? So I tell you, that is one of those things. I hear from people, they're like, ah, I can do a whole bunch of things, but giving up my Starbucks would be a difficult thing. And um, so let's see what uh, what's happening with that. Well, you know, okay. I, and while you're finding that, they recently came out with the whole uh, Roe versus Wade dilemma or debate uh, that's mm-hmm. currently going on. Said, "Oh well, we're we're going to provide rides to women who who want to get I to know. the clinics." I know, I know, unbelievable. Okay, so their high was one. T- I'm looking at the uh, one year numbers on this. Their high was one twenty six oh six. They're at seventy eight sixty one. So they're down pretty. It says they're down about thirty percent. Is there a graphic so that shows maybe just the activity in the last month or so? Yeah, let's take a look here. The last month, interesting, They, w- I think they hit their low uh, right around May 15th. Wow. I wonder if f- that, and that was a 68.55. Go figure. Mm-hmm. And let's see, let's take a look here. Oh, Netflix is down 59%. That's pretty interesting. 
and Disney is down almost 38%. And that's another thing that these folks need to realize is that in high inflationary times, what's some of the first things that's going to go? Yes. Your $5 cup of coffee, uh, your Netflix registration, and you're not going to be taking the kids to Disney World, that's nope. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and that point was made in this uh, editorial. I guess I was I was hearing that. Uh, but I, again, I go back to 2020 when Coke was the first one to jump off this cliff, and I'm thinking, are you nuts? You can't drive. You can't drive the nation to follow this line of thinking just because you say so, and you're most likely going to incur their wrath. And they did. Well, and uh, now then we have this whole ESG thing where um, companies get this rating instead of profitability. It's how they how woke they are. I, let's just say that that's what it is, is the ESG ratings or how woke are you? And again, I think this is um, uh, this is going to come back uh, no matter every individual Almost every individual, when it comes to their pocketbooks, they're very careful. They want to make sure that they're making money, not losing money. And so I think that this wokeism with these big corporations, as, you, as you've noted here, Steve, is, is going to come back to bite them because people want to create their own individual wealth. That's part of the whole American idea. And uh, so that's pretty interesting. Is there any, maybe I should check Coca-Cola stock. I'll try to do that really fast. How's all, that? All right. While you're doing that, I, and I, I asked this question of you. In the case of Disney, you know, are the stockholders getting a little antsy? And, you know, is the board now putting some heat? I, well, that that is going to be what's going to happen. Because ultimately, I mean, they could get so woke that they're going to go out of business. <laughs> There's a claim to fame. Yeah. And, uh, I, okay, everything's pretty slow on this, Steve, so I'm not getting the Coca-Cola right now. But, again, I'll just run through that. Over the last year, Disney is down almost 38%. Netflix is down almost 60%. And Starbucks is, um, let's take a year here. Starbucks is down just about 30%. Shareholders are not going to be very excited about that. And ultimately what they can do is then uh, get rid of the board of directors, and the board of directors are the ones who hires the management. So the board of directors has probably taken a good, strong look at this, Steve. And you know the board of directors are pulling down some good money. They're, they're probably, it, it, I think it depends on each one of them, um, but I don't know exactly what that would be. But we're out of time. So I wish you all a really great weekend. And our quote for the end of the show is because this is the 80th anniversary of the Battle of Midway is from Admiral Chester W. Nimitz. He said, through the skill and devotion to duty of their armed forces of all branches in the Midway area, our citizens can now rejoice that a momentous victory is in the making. And uh, so, my friends, today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. Tell them.